I wonder. I wonder. I wonder. Do you ever wonder? I mean, really stop thinking. And just let your mind wander. Back to almost a childlike place. Where no question is foolish. And every question deserves attention. Do you wonder? I wonder how I can know that I'm truly saved. I wonder how to tell others about the good news of Christ. I wonder what baptism means, and if I should be baptized. I wonder what communion is all about, and why we take it. I wonder why God gave us the church. What's the purpose of the church? I wonder what heaven's like. I wonder who the Holy Spirit is. I wonder what the Holy Spirit does. All of these questions have answers. Let's learn together the truth about our wonderings. Divine appointments. You ever heard that term, divine appointments? Uh, what that is, is maybe you've experienced this before, but uh, maybe in your life you've known somebody whom they were praying or they were seeking for something they needed assistance and they could not handle it on their own. There was no way they were going to get there on their own. And someone at the right moment, at the right time, comes and meets that need, whether it's financially, emotionally, maybe you've been praying or maybe you had a time where you're really struggling with something and someone spoke to you, someone did something for you, someone shared the gospel with you, whatever it was, at the right moment, at the right time, and you knew that it was a God moment. It was a divine tap on the shoulder. It was a divine nudge. <clears throat> and God accomplished whatever it was that you needed or God spoke to you or gave you direction or salvation or whatever the case may be. And uh, many of us have had those moments in our lives. And I believe that God is still uh, giving us the opportunity to experience divine moments divine attention. Now, when we talk about that, I, I think it's important for us to remember that God is moving in spite of us. We can hear the messages that are going around in the world today and think, man, there's no hope. But can I can tell you, tell you about some opportunities and about some uh, experiences and stories? I want to tell you one in particular. There was a guy named Dalen McLee. How many of you have heard the story of Dalen McLee? Okay. All right. Uh, if you're in the last service, you heard it, but nobody had heard it in that, in that service as well. But Dalen McLee lives up in Pennsylvania. And Dalen McLee had, uh, a few years ago, I guess it was in 2016, um, his sister called him, and she was at a party, and he, she said, I need you to come pick me up. And so he went to pick up his sister, and when we got there, a fight had broken out, and this guy was waving a gun, he was pointing at people, and uh, about that time, the police showed up, and Dylan, uh, Dalen was able to take the gun away from that guy, and uh, he took that gun, and then he threw it off the side, but the police officer saw him with a gun, and so he was arrested, and in his arrest, even though he said he was not guilty, several people say he wasn't guilty, he was still arrested, and he found himself in jail for a year until his trial came up. And then there was phone footage that showed that, in fact, he was innocent. But he had spent a year in prison. And he was angry. And he was mad. 
Uh, it was social injustice. And uh, so he was dealing with that. But his mom began to talk to him and began to pray for him and pray with him. And in a couple of years, she died. And he realized he couldn't stay angry forever. He needed to take some actions. And so he did. He took some actions and he did some things uh, to try to correct the social injustice of his, his, his area. But then something happened one day. <clears throat> there was a wreck. He'd gone to see his dad and there was a wreck right outside of his dad's apartment. He heard the noise. And he went outside and he saw the car and he was thinking nobody could live through that. The car was uh, on fire and uh, people were on their cell phone and they were texting and they were taking pictures. And, but nobody was doing anything because this fire, car's on fire. But this guy's in there and you could see he's struggling. Another police officer showed up and he tries to open the door from the other side, but he can't get it open. And finally, Dylan went over. And he sees what's happening and he, he recognizes what's happening. He realizes this is a police officer. He realizes the car's on fire. And he said, I felt God saying, go over there and pull him out. So he got over there and we don't even know how he was able to do this. Uh, but as some of the witnesses said, with Herculean effort, he pulls the door open. He literally pulled it off and he grabs the guy and he pulls this white police officer out of the car who has a broken leg, whose body is jammed in uh, to the steering wheel. He pulls him out and drags him to safety. And in just another moment, that car completely was consumed in flames. Everybody said, Dalen saved that guy's life. But you know what's interesting? They were exactly the opposite. Dalen was black. The police officer was white. Dalen had served time for crime he hadn't committed. The police officer had arrested many people. They had a different education level. They had a different economic level. They lived in different neighborhoods. But when Daly was interviewed, he said, did you ever think twice about it? He goes, I really didn't. My mama taught me, and I believe God wants us to do what's right and to help whoever we can and to value human yes. life. Yes. So I never doubted for a moment that that's what God will do. And I could hear him saying, do it, Dylan. Do it, Dylan." And as I pulled him out, it wasn't me pulling him out. It was God pulling him out. And I love that story, particularly in today, that the love of God trumps and is stronger than anything else the world has to throw at us. And I believe that Lewis and I were talking about this earlier. You know what I believe is really going to rectify and bring peace? You know what I really believe is going to bring justice? You know what I really believe that's going to bring in the United States? I believe it's the gospel. It's the power of the love of God. And that is what unites us. And that's what it's going to take. And I believe when people really love God and they really have a relationship with Christ, then they begin to see that this breaks the heart of God. When we hurt our fellow man, when injustice, when whatever happens, we recognize, God, you have called me to stand. God, you have called me to be an instrument of peace, an instrument of love, an instrument of your message. And so that's what Dalen did. And that city's mayor, that city itself, some of the churches said, hey, this has transformed our city. I want to tell you another story that we're going to see here in Scripture that is the opposites of two men and how God works in spite of their differences. If you go back to the gospel of Acts or the book of Acts, chapter one, verse eight, 
we see Jesus giving this commission before he leaves. Jesus said this to his followers. He says, but you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit when it has come upon you, and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and in Samaria, and into all the earth. You're going to be in Jerusalem, this city right here. You're going to be in Judea, this area right here, this state, if you want to call it, uh, this uh, in Samaria, that's the outer country of which there was a huge, huge prejudice and then to all the world. That was what Jesus commissioned. He said, this is how I want the gospel to go. So the gospel had started right there in Jerusalem at Pentecost in Acts chapter two, we see it happening. And then it began to spread into Judea and then into Samaria. And now Samaria, uh, Samaria was an area where the Jews didn't go. There was high prejudice there was high animosity toward the Samaritans for multiple reasons, because they had not fought with them in certain wars and because they had, um, matter of fact, fought against them. They had aided the enemy in the past. Uh, they also uh, were uh, not uh, Jews. They were Gentiles because they had, uh, many other countries had come in. Matter of fact, some, uh, John Stott said uh, they had come mainly from the Asian area and even Af the African area. And so they were looked upon with disdain because of where they lived and who they were. And there was a real prejudice. Now, this is not a very good example, but I just want to give this to you because I think it maybe will help just a little bit. Um, you know, like in Texas, how everything's bigger and, you know, the economy's better and, you know, it's just, you know, it, it just, you know, good education, all these things. And, you know, people move here and, and, and maybe you're like me, I, I'm from Louisiana. And sometimes I have this experience when people say, oh, where are you from? I go, I'm from Louisiana. They go, oh. <laughs> you know, it's like this Texas pride thing, this Texas thing. <laughs> you know, you know what it's like, you know. And, you know, you, and you don't just do it to Louisiana. You're, where are you from? from Oklahoma. Oh, Oklahoma. <laughs> Arkansas. <laughs> or here's my favorite. Oh, you're from California. <laughs> And, and uh, hey, am I right? If you're from California, Arkansas, Oklahoma, New Mexico, to, uh, you know, Louisiana, you, you know what I'm saying, okay. And, um, but it was that way on steroids because you were not from Judea. And in particular, because you were claiming that you worshiped this true God, but you weren't doing it right. You had your own temple, uh, your sports teams beat our sports teams. All these reasons that, that they were mad at each other. But Jesus said, I want you to go into Samaria. So in chapter 7, Philip has been preaching to the Samaritans. And many of them have come to Christ. And now the Spirit leads them to where we will start right here in Acts chapter 8, verse 27. And here we're going to see a man from Ethiopia. A man from Africa. A man as far away as you, as, as pretty much they knew life existed at this point that they had any connection with. And here's the story. In Acts chapter 8, beginning with the 27th verse. And he rose and went, speaking of Philip. And there was an Ethiopian. Here's Philip. He is a Middle Eastern man, lighter skin. Here's an Ethiopian man who's black. He's a eunuch. And because we have children here, I won't go into what that means, but he can't have children and he's been altered. Philip is not. He's a court official. In other words, he has a high office, but Philip is a commoner. He's official of the queen of Ethiopians, 
And his charge was over her treasure, over all the money. So he's wealthy as well. And Philip is not. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning, seated in a chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, how did this man from what was known as Nubia, we call it Ethiopia, part of the area now, how did he get the scriptures? He's so far away. He's, he's almost a thousand miles away. And how did that happen? Well, most scholars believe probably during the time of Solomon, if you'll remember, the queen of Ethiopia, the queen of Sheba came up and she was enamored by Solomon and his teachings. So she took his teachings and his writings and she brought them home and she had copies of them made. And it's passed down from generation to generation and probably even had access. She continued to get some of the prophets that were written. And so this man, being well-educated in Ethiopia, had been reading these scriptures. And so he makes this journey. He's searching for the one true God. And so he makes his way to Jerusalem, where he would have found himself the temple on the outside, having to listen, because he was a Gentile. He couldn't have come in. He had to be in the outer courts of the Gentiles. And he's on his way home, and he's perplexed. But here's a divine encounter. The Spirit leads Philip to go talk to him. And this is pretty interesting. The Bible says that he's reading the prophet Isaiah and the spirit said to Philip, go over and join him at this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet, and asked, do you understand what you're reading? All right, this is a divine encounter, a divine moment. And think about it. God has put it upon Philip's heart to go and talk to this man who's different than him in every possible way. And Philip is not given the pleasure or the leisure of just waiting. I'll just wait and see if he comes to me. No, God says, I want you to go talk to him. And what's happening? This guy's in a chariot, which means, and he's a, he's a, a high official. He's over the treasury. So he's probably got at least a dozen people with him and he's moving. So what does Philip have to do? The Bible says he had to run to him. Hey, mister, do you know what you're reading there? I mean, he literally had to run to him. So many times we miss our divine encounters because we just sit and wait. You know what Oswald Chambers says, faith is doing everything you honestly and ethically can and trusting the rest of God. The Bible says that he ran over to him and, and he was reading, he just happened to be reading the book of Isaiah and he asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up with him. And now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. It was Isaiah 53. You know what Isaiah 53 is? Let me read some of Isaiah 53. This is a prophetic messianic text about the Messiah who will come. And it's written 700 years before Jesus would come. Who has believed what we have heard? And who has the arm of the Lord revealed to? He grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of the dry ground, he had no form or splendor that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like one people turned away from. He was despised and not valued. Yet he himself bore our sickness. He carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him as stricken and struck down by God and afflicted. And even before crucifixion, was invented 700 years before Christ, we see this prophecy. But he was pierced because of our transgressions. He was crushed 
because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was placed upon him, and we are healed by his wounds. And the Ethiopian eunuch is reading this. And we all went astray like sheep and have turned our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of his fall. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb led to slaughter and a sheep silent before the shears. He did not open his mouth. Just by coincidence or divine intervention, a divine moment, we see that the Ethiopian eunuch is reading this. God, through the Holy Spirit, leads Philip to go, go and talk to him. When he gets to him, he notices he's reading this passage, which is about the Messiah who had come, whom Philip is preaching the message that the Messiah has come. The grace of God has come to this earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this is? Is this about himself or is it about someone else? And Philip opened his mouth and beginning with that very passage of scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. This is the one who's been prophesied about. He has come and he lived the life that you and I should have lived and he died the death that you and I should have died. But if we put our faith in him, we transfer our trust to him by grace. We are forgiven and made whole before God. And as the Ethiopian heard this, they were going along, he saw some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Evidently, Philip has told him the gospel, and he said, if you will repent and put your faith in him, and then you are to be baptized, and the eunuch said, well, here's water. Can I be baptized? Baptism in that time was a signal, was a picture like it is today that, hey, I am following this particular person or this particular religion. The Jews had mikvahs and they used it for cleanliness, but they also used it for people who wanted to convert to Judaism. They had to go through the baptism and it identified them in that manner that you are now a Jew. Well, so with Christianity. When you were baptized, it said, you know what? I renounce anything else that had a hold or a claim to my life, and I am now following Christ. It was a public picture, a public demonstration. Everyone knew that you were following Christ. Didn't mean you were perfect. Didn't mean that you had it all together, that, but it meant that you had made a commitment to Christ. And so that's what would happen. And, and today, we're going to have a baptism here in just a few moments. Matter of fact, uh, Greg Reyes is going to be baptized uh, by Sananda Cotter. Sananda accepted Christ about a year and a half ago and was baptized. And today, he's going to be baptizing Greg. And um, Greg's story is this. Uh, Greg was living in California. There it is. We're all from somewhere else, aren't we? Uh, in California and uh, was not going the right direction. And his family invited him uh, to come and live here in Texas. And so he moved in. He uh, began to attend church here. Uh, we got to know each other. Sanana got to know him pretty well. He began to ask a lot of questions and um, had the opportunity to share the gospel with him right over behind Kroger at Jeter's Meat Market, if any of you know where that was. And Greg uh, committed his life to Christ, and he's ready to be baptized. Why? Uh, because it's a commitment that he's made. He's made a personal commitment. He himself has said, you know what? I recognize that I cannot do it on my own. I need God's grace and forgiveness, and so I commit my life 
to him. You know, there's a lot of misinformation about baptism. What, what some? Sometimes people think this. Well, I got to get my life all right before I can be baptized. I got to be all ready. I got to be really good. Uh, that's that works mentality. Um, or once you baptize, you're baptized, you'll no longer sin. No, that's not true either. Uh, sometimes people think, well, it's just a private matter. Let's do it a moment. No, it's, it's a public testimony. Uh, it's just like my ring right here uh, that signifies I'm married to my wife. That's what baptism is. It's a picture of the covenant that God has made to us and that we have made to him. Okay? So it is important, and it is a picture of the commitment that we've made to Christ. It is a public testimony of our faith. And we see here in this last verse that the eunuch said, what prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went into the water and Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. That's a great story, a great passage of scripture that shows the divine intervention of God. We see the gospel in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, into the uttermost parts of the earth. You know what? God's still working. There's still divine encounters, still divine moments going on today. Do you realize that Christianity is continuing to grow worldwide? A lot of times people think, well, you know, Christianity, it's kind of the North American religion. It's kind of what Americans believe, part of their culture. Here's the fascinating thing. I've been reading a book, finished a book by a guy named Lene Sané. He's a professor at Yale University. He wrote a book, Whose Religion is Christianity? Who does it belong to? Because see, most religions, all major religions, they are still really close. The majority of the people are still really close to where it originally started. So matter of fact, if you'll look at this map, you'll see the world religions. If you notice the green part, uh, that's Islam. And Islam basically started right in the middle of that green area. And still well over 80% of the world, uh, 80% of Muslims live in that area. Uh, if you look over here, you see it, uh, India, uh, you see the orange, uh, that is Hinduism. The majority of people are Hinduism. And that came, back then recognized there weren't these nice country lines. These were areas. So not far from that area, that's where Hinduism was born. Uh, the same with Japanese and Shintoism. If you'll notice, China right there is pr primarily either atheist or unreligious. That's the purple. Uh, but then there, there are a lot of Buddhists there. Um, but primarily, it's, it's no religion. But Christianity, where did it start? Christianity started basically in the middle. You see a little purple sliver right there. That's basically where Christianity started. That's Israel. Uh, and it basically started in that Palestinian area. And there, where did it go to? It moved north to Europe. And from Europe, where did it go? North America. South America. In 1900, only about 8% of Africa was Christian. Now, today, 50%. It continues to expand. In other words, Christianity isn't where it started. It's literally gone around the world. That's what Jesus said. I want you to go in to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and into all the world. That's why the Bible says that every knee, one day every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord because the gospel will have made, it around, made its way around the world. And we see where Christianity is thriving South America, Africa. You know what country right now? Randy Riggins and I were talking about this. He knew this. You know what country 
uh, is the place where Christianity is growing the fastest of any country in the world? Anybody know? Just shout it out if you think you know. Do what? Iran. Iran. Okay. Matter of fact, here's, here's what's interesting. Here are a few of the, the, the top, top countries where Christianity is growing the fastest in the world today. Iran, Afghanistan, Gambia, which is actually where Dr. Sané is from, Cambodia, which is one of the country, uh, the missionaries that we support right now, uh, Algeria, Somalia, these northern uh, African countries that you see right there, Kuwait, Mongolia, where you see the red right above China. And in China, we can't get accurate estimates about Christianity, but it's believed by 2000, excuse me, 2050, that there will be more Christians in China than there are in the United States. What you see is the gospel goes and is received where it is needed and wanted. When you come to the place where you recognize that I can't do it on my own, that I need more than just what I can do on my own, I need the God of universe to intervene for me. And we see the, and we see the increase and we see the growth of Christianity in those countries in that part of the world. God is speaking. I, I wish we had time to go and tell stories about divine encounters. Um, I remember the first time I heard this in, in a Muslim area. Uh, I was reading a book, and they were talking about, well, a lot of them are coming through dreams. And I'm thinking, come on. Who, who's, who believes that? You mean God is revealing himself through dreams? And, and I, was just, I saw that. I'm going, I can't believe this guy said that. About three weeks later, we had a guy come uh, who had been raised Muslim, who had been raised in the Middle East. His name was Abraham Sarker. And he said, um, and I said, how'd you come to Christ? He said, believe it or not, I had a dream. He said, like I was seeking God. I was praying to God. And one day I just kind of had this vision that Jesus was who I needed to seek. He said, it's happening all over the Middle East. It's hard a lot of times for us to believe, but can I tell you, divine encounters are still happening. And he told story after story after story how God had already prepared through dreams and visions and through divine encounters. And now we see the, the gospel in that last area beginning to explode. Hey, that's not by coincidence. That's not just by accident. Here's the question for you today. Have you divinely encountered the person of Jesus Christ? Have you come to the place where you recognize, hey, it doesn't matter how good I am, how many works I do, how many times I go to church. The only thing that matters is that I recognize that he is God and I am not. And that it's only by grace, the gift that he has given, that I can receive it by putting my faith in him. Have you done that? I invite you to do that today. Father, thank you for this wonderful story that shows the picture of how your spirit works in spite of us. We have so many reasons why uh, we don't want to share, why we don't want to love, why we don't want to include, why we show prejudice, why we find ourselves removed from so many situations that, God, you want to speak into, that you want to use us to bring light and love and life. And, God, today I, I ask your forgiveness of not being obedient in every instance, I ask, Lord, that in spite of me, you would continue to move and draw people to you. Lord, if there's those who don't know you today, that today would be the day that they encounter the, the God of the universe through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Lord, for those who need to follow in testimony through believer's baptism, I invite you, Lord, to draw them this day. Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness and your kindness.
Amen.